Well, church, let me encourage you now to grab your Bible, grab your sword, join me in John chapter 17. We are having some church in here this morning. And I am fired up and we got some good, good news that we're gonna get to, to, to step into and see here today. John 17 shows us the prayer of Jesus. And this is such a beautiful gift, regardless of where you're coming from, regardless of, of how much church you've experienced, regardless of where you are in this journey of faith. The prayer of Jesus in John 17 is such a gift to us because it, it really, opens up, unpacks, and lays before us the heart of Jesus. We get to see what, what Jesus is passionate about as it relates to his church, his followers, his people. This prayer is such a gift. If you're new to Shades, we are so grateful that you're here with us this morning. If you're joining us online, welcome to what God is doing in our midst here at Shades. We, we do want you to know we are in the midst of a very specific and intentional prayer focus. As Pastor Chad was talking about a few moments ago, a 21-day prayer journey that we're walking through together as a church. And, and part of this journey, we are reading through the Gospel of John, one chapter a day as we as we pray. And I just want to encourage you, if you're, if you're brand new, just, just jump in with us. We'd love for you to join us for the morning prayer time. We'd love for you to pick up a prayer journal. We'd love for you to join us in the gospel of John. And as we walk through this time together, this prayer of Jesus in John 17, it is serving as our guide. It is, it is laying before us again what matters most to Jesus as it relates to his followers. And so we see this, this beautiful, beautiful gift here in John 17. I'm going to pick up right where I, I left off last Sunday. We covered the first five verses, really kind of the, the beginning, the intro of the prayer. And today we're going to pick up in verse six and, and make our way to verse 11 of John 17. And so I would like to invite you, if you're willing and able, to stand up with me as I read from God's word. And, and if you are new to Shades, I just want to let you know we we do this each week. We stand for the reading of God's word. And the reason why is so that we all can be reminded that, that the word of God that we're now turning our attention to, what God says is right and good and true. This is our foundation. This is where the people of God stand. This is the firm foundation, unchangeable foundation underneath our feet. Listen to the word of the Lord, the prayer of Jesus in John 17, 6, Jesus prays, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. And then Jesus says, I am praying for them, not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours. Yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given to me, that they may be one even as we are one. The prayer of Jesus 
As we step into this time, we've been asking two questions and I wanna lay them before you as we pray and then we'll be seated. The two questions we're seeking to ask of the Lord right now in this 21 day focus is, what do you want me to see right now? The beginning of a new year. Lord, what do you want me to see? What do you know I need to see? And then secondly, what do you want me to do about what you reveal? Let's pray that now and invite the Spirit of God to move in our midst and we'll be seated for this message. Father, we come before you now asking you to show us what you know we need to see. There are so many different stories represented in this place today and in many of those stories, there are significant challenges, there there are significant decisions to be made, there are hardships and pain being endured, There, there, there are celebrations happening. Lord, there are so many different circumstances and yet in the power of your Holy Spirit, We collectively believe that that you can speak into every story and every situation. So Lord, we're asking you to show us what we need to see. And then Lord, give us the faith to do what you desire for us to do with what you reveal. That is our prayer during this season of prayer together. That is my prayer for us today. What do you want us to do with that which you reveal? May you be glorified in it all. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. And I just have to say this. In light of recent news that broke this week in our state, I realize there are some of you that are saying, you know what, this prayer thing may actually work. (laughs) And then there are some of you going, okay, it's time that we really took serious prayer. So wherever you are, I just want you to know that I believe God wants to meet you and wants you to see him. And in all seriousness, I wanna say this. We just were singing this. That I will bless you in the darkest valleys. I will bless you when the walls are crashing, I I know that some of you here today, it really literally feels like you're carrying the weight of the world. Some of you today, it, it literally feels like you don't know how you can take another step. Please, please hear this. This is what we see in John 17. Jesus is praying for you. He knows what you're walking through. He knows what you need right now, today. It's it's amazing to consider that as Jesus knows the cross is is ever before him and, and as he prays, knowing the cross is about to happen, there's only five verses in this prayer where he's praying for the strength he needs. But for 21 verses, he's praying for the strength that we will need. It's unbelievable to see the heart of Jesus praying for his followers, knowing what we will walk through, knowing what we will endure, knowing the challenges that will be faced and the hardships that that we will have to navigate. Jesus is praying for his people. 
And if you're here today feeling like you're carrying the weight of the world, it is my prayer that you will see this prayer as a gift. So let's look back at what this prayer reveals as we begin in verse 6, as Jesus does start to pray for his people, knowing the cross is waiting for him. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. What, what is this, this statement Jesus is making all about? As he begins to focus his prayer on those who, who will be left behind as he ascends into heaven, on, on those who will no longer have Jesus physically with them. His, his heart is heavy. What is this statement supposed to mean? I have manifested your name. Please hear this right up front. This is so incredibly important. We talked about this some last week as Jesus is revealing in his prayer who he is, the authority that he has, the, the hope that can be ours because of him. Jesus is making it clear right here when he says, I manifested your name to the people whom you gave me. Jesus is saying, when you look at me, you are seeing God. This is a bold claim that Jesus makes. When you look at Jesus, you are seeing God manifested before you. This is, this is God in the flesh being on display for, for those who will look and see. If you want to see God, Jesus is saying as he prays, look at Jesus. If you want to know God, look to Jesus. And as he makes this statement, I have manifested you to them that, that they would see you and know you. He also is, is laying before his people some very important doctrine as what it means to be a part of the people of God. Jesus is saying here in verse 6, the, the only way you can truly see him for who he is, the only way you can truly see the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is God, who is sovereign and reigning over all, is if you have been given to the Son by the Father. What does that mean? Again, this is a very important doctrine that Jesus is teaching his followers. He's saying, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have received the gift of salvation by grace through faith that comes through Christ alone, you have been chosen by God to be a part of his family, to be a part of his kingdom. Those who are in Christ have been called out of this world into another kingdom, an eternal kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, a kingdom that is not of this world. See, Jesus knows his disciples are listening as he prays. And he knows how important it is that they understand 
this doctrine of being chosen by God to be a part of his family, a part of his kingdom, a part of his people. He, he knows that John, in fact, one of his disciples would go on to record this prayer that we're now looking at in, in his gospel account that becomes a part of the inerrant, inspired word of God. He knows that another one of his disciples, a, a guy by the name of Peter, would go on to write different letters to the church later in his life. And in the midst of one of those letters, Peter would make this statement, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, looking back at this prayer, he writes this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light from one kingdom to another. And then Peter says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What is this all about? Peter is reflecting on the prayer of Jesus, remembering what Jesus prayed, that, that if you are in Christ, you are in Christ because you have been given to him by the Father. You have been purchased with a price. You have been bought in his blood and you are now invited into a new kingdom, a holy kingdom, a new people, a holy people made holy, called righteous because of what Christ has done. He's, he's pointing us to our identity. Please don't miss this. It is out of our perspective of our identity that we begin to live. What do I mean by that? It is out of our perspective, the way we view ourselves as, as the way we view who we are. It is out of our perspective of our identity that we live, that we speak, that we do the things that we do. Our perspective of our identity drives the way we behave and interact with those around us and interact with the world. And as Jesus prays, and as Peter would later reflect on that prayer, the, the word of God comes together to show us how important it is, if you are a follower of Christ, that your identity is rooted and grounded in Christ. Because we come here from a lot of different places. We come here from a lot of different ethnicities and nationalities and backgrounds. We come here from a lot of different stories. We, we come here from a lot of different family of origins. But if you are in Christ, you now have been given this identity as one who's a part of a new nation, a new kingdom, a holy nation, a people set apart for his possession. I've got with me my passport today. I take this passport as I know anyone else does who leaves the country with, with you as you leave. I take my passport when I leave. And, and those of you who has a, have a passport, you know how this works. You, you arrive at another nation and you hold this up and they see right there on the cover, United States of America. 
That's your citizenship. That's, that's the, 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 the homeland for you. That's, that's where you live. But you, you show this because you're stepping into a, another nation. And when they open it up and they see your picture and they see that number and they see that it says United States of America, they, they recognize that, that you are visiting that, their land. This passport's important, right? Because it shows I'm, I'm, I'm just here temporarily. I actually come from somewhere else and I actually, I actually am gonna go back to that somewhere else. See, Jesus is saying to us as he prays, if you have been given to him, if you have been invited into his family, you've been chosen by God to, to be a part of a, of a, of a holy nation. That, that is your citizenship. Your citizenship is not of this world. It's of another world. Right now, you're just passing through. You're just passing through. And that, that will impact the way you interact with the foreign land you currently find yourself in. That will impact the way you interact with those who, who are actually uh, of the kingdom of this world. Jesus is saying our identity is so incredibly important that as he begins to pray for his people, knowing what his people will endure and face, he is praying that we would not miss this. You are a citizen of a holy, holy nation, a people for his own possession. The Apostle Paul would go on to describe it this way in Colossians chapter 1. He would say he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. There it is again. From one kingdom to another in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Which kingdom are you a part of? That's what the word of God is asking us to consider. What does your identity flow out of? Does it flow out of being a part of the, the holy nation, the people of God, the, the people that have been transferred from darkness to light because of the finished work of Jesus or is your identity built on something else altogether? With this, Jesus continues to pray. John chapter 17, verse seven, he says this as he prays. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. Now, these are some very bold claims that Jesus is making as he prays. The only way that Jesus could have the authority to say the things that he is saying here and to do the things that he did in his ministry on earth is if he is God. Jesus is making these claims clear specifically for a reason. He's saying, those who are my followers, those who have received the things that I have said and the things that I have done and have placed their faith in me, they have placed their faith in me, not because I'm a good religious leader, not because I'm a good teacher or prophet, they have placed their faith in me because I am God. That's the claim that Jesus is making. And Jesus is saying those who trust me 
have received these words. They believe that these words are from God. They believe that I am who I say I am. They have trusted that I have come from heaven. They have placed their faith in me and they are, they are mine. But then we see a very sharp contrast in the word of God as well to how others receive Jesus' words. In fact, there's a very sharp contrast between the way the disciples receive the words of Jesus and trust in faith that he is God, that he is who he says he is, and, and, and a group of religious leaders called the religious Pharisees who hear the same words that Jesus says and, and witness many of the same miracles that the disciples witnessed him perform. And instead of following him and believing him and trusting him, they begin to plot and scheme to kill him. Now, here's the question. How can there be such a sharp contrast? How, how, can, how can in the midst of religious people, there be some religious people who respond in faith and believe Jesus at his word and some religious people who reject everything he says and, and seek to dismiss him and do away with him Altogether, why does this happen? Well, Jesus actually gives us some very important insight in John's gospel. John chapter 5 is where I want to turn our attention. Those of you who are reading through the gospel of John with us, you, you read this passage this week. John chapter 5 was part of our reading plan. And in John chapter 5, we see one of the incredible, beautiful miracles of Jesus healing a man that has been paralyzed. But as we see, these religious leaders witness this miracle. They've heard Jesus make the claims that he's claimed about being God, and they begin to plot and scheme to kill him. And Jesus knows what they're doing. He knows their heart. He says some very interesting things to them, beginning in verse 39 is where I want to read from John 5. Again, this is to the religious Pharisees who are seeking to dismiss Jesus altogether. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Now, what is that all about? I mean, I thought the Bible is where we're supposed to turn to see the gift of eternal life. And certainly it is. But Jesus is making a very important distinction here in the way the Pharisees were going to the scriptures and the way those who, who follow Jesus go to the scriptures. He says to these Pharisees, you have devoted your life to studying the scripture and you have come to the conclusion, please hear this, you have come to the conclusion that the Bible gives you instruction or the scripture gives you instruction in all the things you must do so that you can be right with God. The Pharisees open the word, they look at the word, They've got their pen and their journal and they go, okay, let's make our to-do list. I need to go to church, check. I need to show up at prayer time, check. 
I need to study the Bible. Check. I'm doing that right now. I need to journal while I study the Bible. Oh, doing that right now. Check. Check. Here's all the things I need to do. I need to behave this way. I need to get all this done. I need to accomplish all of this so that at the end of the day, I can say, I did what I needed to do to save myself. And Jesus is saying, actually, the word of God The scriptures have been given to you to show you that no matter what you do, there is no possible way that you can save yourself. In fact, the scriptures reveal that the only way you can be saved is through a Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior. John chapter 5 verse 40, Jesus says, he's right in front of you. You're trying to figure out all the things you need to do to save yourself. And Jesus is saying, actually, the scripture reveals you can never do enough to save yourself. Because as we talked about last week, God has set a standard in his word, a standard through his law that is a perfect, holy standard. The only way that we could be right with God by by following the law and following his word is if we live without sin sin every day, every moment for all of our life. I don't know about you, but I've really struggled with that just today. And it's Sunday. And I'm a preacher. You know, like, this is go time for me, right? This, this should be the best day of the week for a preacher, right? Get it all right on Sunday. But, but I can just tell you already many, many times on this day, There is evidence in my life that I have completely failed to fulfill the law of God. Again, it's Sunday. Every day, every day there is evidence in our lives that we cannot fulfill the law of God. We cannot measure up to the standard. We fall woefully short. We need a Savior. And Jesus is saying to these religious leaders, that Savior is right in front of you. But because you have bought into this belief that you can somehow be righteous based on your behavior, you've put your righteousness in the hands of yourself. That's called self-righteousness. And you have been blinded to the reality that you desperately need a savior. So Jesus goes on in verse 45 to say, look, I, I, I want to be clear about this. This is important. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Jesus said, that's not why I'm saying this. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father, but you need to know there is one who accuses you. And you gotta, we're going to try to unpack this a little bit. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Why does Jesus bring up Moses? Before we go there, it says, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Okay, so what is this all about? Why in the world does Jesus bring up Moses? He says, okay, I'm not here to accuse you, but there is one that will accuse you. In fact, he's already accused you. His name is Moses, but Moses lived hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So how in the world is Moses accusing these self-righteous religious leaders He's saying, well, look, you claim to believe, you claim to believe the law, and you claim to build your life on 
accomplishing the law and doing all the right things so that you can check the boxes and somehow be right with God through upholding the law. But please don't misunderstand. Moses gave you the law for a specific purpose. And that specific purpose was to show you how holy and righteous God is and to show you how much you desperately need him because you can't save yourself. So everything in the law is actually pointing to the one who would come to fulfill the law. Jesus says it's pointing to me. I am not going to accuse you. You're actually accusing yourself. You actually are inviting Moses to accuse you because you're saying it's all about your performance. And Moses said, no, it's all about the Savior. So Jesus makes it clear here that even though you and I cannot uphold the law, he has not come to accuse us. He has not come to condemn us. He has come to do for us what we could never do. That's John chapter 3. Perhaps the most famous passage in all of the scripture Again, part of our reading plan this past week was in John chapter 3 where Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son for whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then, and then listen to what Jesus says in 17. This is so profound and so beautiful. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the good news of the gospel to those who are, who are striving to do enough and yet recognize that there's no way you can measure up to that standard of perfection. And Jesus says, look, I'm not here to accuse you. The law accuses you. The law reveals your sin. The law shows you your need for the Savior. But the Savior has come so that you might be saved through him. And then there's this amazing statement that really connects back to what Jesus says about Moses in John chapter 5 where Jesus says, whoever believes in him, the Son of God, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. Have you ever heard somebody ask the question, why does a loving God send people to hell? Maybe you've asked that question yourself. Why, why does a loving God send people? That, no, God is love. He would never send someone to hell. And Jesus actually answers the question in John chapter 3. He says, look, a loving God is not sending anyone to hell. You're sending yourself to hell. That, that's what your sin does. Your sin sends you to hell. The only way your sin does not send you to hell, please hear this, is not if you clean up your life. It's not if you come to church some. It's not if you try to do all the things on the to-do list. No, the only way your sin does not send you to hell is if you fall on what Christ has done for you. And believe, believe and the gift of salvation that comes through him alone. For God did not send the Son to condemn the world. No, he sent the Son to save 
the world. If you believe in the Son, you receive the gift of salvation. If you do not believe in the Son and you try to save yourself and you try to perform good enough to earn your way to heaven, you are condemning yourself. God is offering you salvation. That is his love for you. That is his grace for you. He wants you to know what has been done so that you can be saved. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Are you trusting in what the son has done? For as Jesus prays in John 17, he says, that's what my disciples do. They believe in what the son has said. They believe in what the Son has done. They believe that the Son is God. Are you trusting in what Jesus has said and done or are you rejecting it by trying to do your own thing? We'll close this morning with verses nine through 11. I just wanna hit this real quick because this is where we're gonna pick up next week and we're gonna spend a lot of time talking about something that Jesus reveals in verse 11. But listen to this portion of the prayer. Jesus says, I am praying for them. I'm praying for my followers, my people, those who are a part of my kingdom. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, Jesus says, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And Jesus says, I no longer am I in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. So Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Now this is the the point in this prayer where Jesus gets very, very specific with his heart and desire for his people. And if you were to sum up this portion of the prayer, I believe you could sum it up this way. That Jesus is praying that his followers would live as a reflection of who he is. That when people see those who are followers of Jesus, they would actually see a reflection of Jesus. That that when people hear those speak who are followers of Jesus, they'd actually hear a reflection of Jesus. Jesus is praying that, that his followers, his people, would live as a reflection of who he is. Why do I say that? It's right there in verses 10 and 11. Jesus prays in verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. If you go back to verse four of John 17, what we looked at last week, Jesus prays this to the Father, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So what what are we seeing here? Jesus is praying for his followers to live as a reflection to him. How? By glorifying God. You want to know what God's desire for your life and mine is? That we live for the glory of God. You want to know what God's desire is? The decision you're trying to make right now? That you live for the glory of God. You want to know what God's desire is and the challenges you're navigating right now? That you live for the glory of God. That's what Jesus is all about. And he wants his followers to be a reflection of him we would be able to live in such a way by grace through faith 
filled with the Spirit of God that brings glory to God in whatever it is that we do and whatever it is that we face. This is our purpose, our calling as a follower of Jesus to live for the glory of God. But then secondly, and this is where we will continue in this prayer, in this letter, in the weeks to come. In John chapter 17, verse 11, Jesus prays this, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Again, Jesus is praying that his followers would live as a reflection of who he is. Who is he? He is the one who glorifies the Father, and he is the one who is perfectly united with the Father. He has been given the name which is above all names because he is perfectly one with the Father. So Jesus is praying that his followers would live for the glory of God in whatever we do and whatever we face, and Jesus is praying that his followers would live together as one, seeking to lift high the name of Jesus above all else, regardless of what we do, regardless of what we face. Live for his glory and live to lift high his name as one pointing to who he is and what he has done. And so here's the way I want to end this morning. And we'll just, we're going to pray and we're going to sing and, and we'll wrap this, wrap this up. I just want to ask you to consider this morning, this is, this is for me, this is for all of us. If the prayer of Jesus for, for your life is to live as a reflection of who he is, to live for his glory, to live together as, as one, lifting high the name of Jesus above all else. Let me just ask you, what is it in your life right now that might need to be laid down so that you can live as a, as, as a more accurate, more appropriate reflection of who he is? What, what needs to be laid down? Where, where do you need to open your hands? What about, what, what is it that needs to be picked up? Maybe, maybe for you, it's, it's, I need to pick up forgiveness. I need to pick up grace. I need to pick up compassion. I don't know what it, what it may be, but, but what, what is it in your life that needs to be laid down at the foot of the cross? And, and whatever in your life that needs to be picked up so that you can live as a reflection of Jesus. I'm talking about right now, like with whatever you're facing, whatever you're navigating, whatever you're walking through. Can we go back to the prayer that we prayed at the beginning? What do you want us to see, Lord, right now? So that my life can be a reflection of who Jesus is and what he has done for me. What do you want me to do about what you reveal so that my life can be a reflection of who Jesus is and what he has done for me? Maybe, maybe for, for some of you today, it, it's, it's actually the beginning of this journey of being a reflection of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. Maybe for some of you today, it's I, I need to begin a relationship with Jesus. I need to receive what he alone can give me. I, I need to trust in the gift of salvation that comes through the finished work of Jesus Christ, whatever it may be for you, let's, let's just go to the Lord in prayer, inviting him 
to show us what we need to see and what he's calling us to do in light of what he reveals so that we can be a reflection of who Jesus is as we see his heart on display through this prayer. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, what do you want us to see? And what do you want us to do about that which you reveal? Oh, Father, I know there are some today that that just need to open their hands. Perhaps there's been something they've been holding on to really, really tightly. And today, they realize to be to be a reflection of who Jesus is, they just need to open their hands. They need to let that thing go, that person go, that, that struggle go, whatever it may be, Lord. Would you give them the faith to open their hands and lay it at the cross? Father, for some today, it's, it's you're prompting to pick something up, to pick up forgiveness, to pick up grace, to pick up compassion. Lord, what is it that you want us to see and what do you want us to do about what you reveal so that we can be a reflection of Jesus and what you have given us and done for us? Lord, thank you for reminding us here as we navigate this prayer that that there is a name above all names. A name that that at that name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Lord, we, we thank you for reminding us that it really is all about Jesus. That's all it's been about all along. Lord, if there's anything in our life that's preventing us from seeing that or believing that or trusting that or following that, Lord, would you reveal it right now so that we can come to you in faith saying, Jesus, you are all we need. You have done for us exactly what we need. Jesus, we trust in you. Oh, I pray, Lord God, that we would be a people who live for your glory and live as one, lifting high the name of Jesus so that wherever we go, whatever we say, whatever we do, we can be a reflection of what you have done for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your holy name I pray. Amen.